Good morning. Thank you so much for joining me this morning. My name is Samuel. I'm an associate pastor here at New Hope Presbyterian Church. It's wonderful to have you here this morning. Some of you who've been tuning in regularly can tell we're trying out, I'm trying out a different video setup, so feel free to let me know if the uh, sound's not working or this video or you'd like me to go back to recording a different way. I just want to make sure that we are communicating effectively with you um, and that there aren't as we minimize the number of distractions that we can minimize uh, so that you can hear the message. So um, today, before we begin, as always, go ahead and say hi in the chat. Um, it is wonderful to see your names. Many of you know that we are meeting uh, concurrently, both online right now um, at 10 a.m., and also we are meeting in person as well. We, our plan is to continue to do and provide these um, digital sermons so that those of you who are not yet able to return to in-person worship can keep following along and keep being a part of our community. And so as a part of that, just say hi. Just say uh, welcome to one another. Um, I know that my family has been quarantining for this whole time. And um, if you're like that, it's just frankly nice just to see each other's names and uh, not your faces, but just to see some chat going on there so we know that we're not alone in this quarantine life. So uh, just say hi, and we're just so glad to have you here, whether you are a visitor or a longtime member, whether you're finding this video years later on our YouTube channel, I'm just glad that you're here with us this morning, and want to invite you, no matter who you are, to allow us to pray for you. Give us the opportunity to pray for you, your friends, your family, whoever it is, whether you're a believer or not a believer, we cherish those opportunities to pray for you and with you. You can go to our website, newhopekent.org, to see that and all the other things that is going on in the life of the church. If you're a regular attender or you want updates as to what the ministry opportunities and things that are going on, uh, sign up for our newsletter. And as always, just use the contact us or email me directly at samuel at newhopekent.org if there's anything at all that I can help you with. Um, that's why I'm here, is to help and to serve you. So today we're going to continue our sermon series. Uh, we've been going through the storybook Bible, Jesus' storybook Bible, and we're almost at the end. Just a few more weeks left here. And today uh, we turn to the book of Acts. If you were with me last week, you know that last week we covered um, Jesus' ascension. Right before he ascended into heaven, after his death and resurrection, he departed to his disciples this command, this great commission to go and baptize and to make disciples of all nations. And that he would be with us in this. And as a, as a part of that, we looked at 2 Timothy closer to the end of the Bible to see how that manifested itself in the life of Paul. Well, today we look at the book of Acts and how after Jesus ascended into heaven, we are here um, with the disciples receiving the power of the Holy Spirit. So today our passage is Acts chapter 2 verses 1 through home through uh, 4, and the title of this one is God Sends Help. If you have your Bibles, I encourage you open them up um, at home or uh, maybe on another screen or something like that. ESV.org is the website I use the most because that's the translation I like. Um, but let's look at this together. Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. The day of Pentecost arrived. They were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. 
and divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. This is the word of the Lord. And we say thanks be to God for his word for us today. Um, the context in which this passage is, is given to us, the beginning of the early church was in the Greco-Roman Empire. Now, I'm not going to show you a movie clip. I've been showing too many movie clips lately, but there is a movie that kind of captures some of the ethos or some of the values of that early Greco-Roman world, which their values were very, very different than ours. And I'm talking about the movie 300. And if you haven't seen that movie, there's a lot of violence in it, and it is not kid-friendly at all. But in that movie, it shows this concept, this reflection of something that did happen in the Greco-Roman Empire, and that was that the values of the Greco-Roman Empire were um, not compassion and humility, but they were of power, of strength, of honor. Those other things were seen as weaknesses, and one of the aspects in that movie we see is that children who were born malformed, or if you had too many children, or if you didn't have the right gender child, or for really any reason at all, parents would take those children, and I know this is horrific to our ears today, but again, remember, this was part of their culture. That people, back then, it's hard, it's impossible for us to understand this because there's been such a, a worldview change over the centuries. But back then, it was acceptable, if you didn't want your child, to put them out, on a trash heap, and to leave them there, and they would either be picked up by some other family that wanted a child, or they would die and perish. Um, the gods during the time of the Greco-Roman Empire were viewed as capricious, they were viewed as selfish and immoral. They were not gods that you could count on. And historian Gary B. Ferguson shows us through his research that compassion was not a well-developed virtue among the pagan Romans. Mercy was discouraged, as it only helped those too weak to contribute to society. In the cramped, unsanitary warrens of the typical Roman city, under the miserable cycle of plagues and famines, the sick found no public institutions dedicated to their care and little in the way of sympathy or help. Perhaps a family member would come to their aid, but sometimes even close relatives would leave their own to die. I know that sounds like a completely different world, but this was the world that the church was born into. A world in which the sick and the elderly were routinely left to waste away. In fact, they had an island, Tiber Island, where you would take the unwanted. Unwanted children were often left to die to exposure. If a father determined that the family could not afford to feed another child, that child would be abandoned on the steps of the public square or a temple. And defected newborns were routinely left to die of exposure almost in, anywhere. And when so that when Christianity came to the Roman Empire, it performed perhaps one of the most significant cultural revolutions in the history of the West. In general, 
Christian values stood opposed to those values of the Greco-Roman tradition. The Christian ethic was founded on the concept that God created humans in his image in the Imago Dei, and that that proposition was the basis for the worth and value of every human being. And so what we find is, is that the early Christians picked up those off of literal trash heaps, and it changed the world. The Roman Empire, before Jesus looked at values like compassion, humility, and serving others to be weaknesses, to be expelled from humanity, a childish, immature view of how to treat others. After Jesus, those same values became virtues that are celebrated today, the world over, by believers and not believers alike. In fact, anyone today, whether they are a believer or not, would look at this practice and the stuff that I just described to you in the Greco-Roman Empire, most anyone today in the world would look at that and say, that is appalling. How could people do that? Much less, how could other people think that that was an okay cultural practice? And the reason that most of the people in the world, believe it or not, would do that today is because the early church drastically changed the world. They were world changers. How, we ask ourselves, was the early church able to do this? What about the Christian movement was so different than all the other philosophies and all the other movements that were going on in the Greco-Roman Empire? And by the way, everything under the sun was there and an option. But what about this movement was different than the way the entire world today thinks, believes, behaves, and interprets the world around them was changed. Last week, we talked about how as Jesus departed, he gave the church a mission to seek and save the lost, to proclaim the gospel to the ends of the earth. Um, Today and next Sunday, we're going to look at the book of Acts the story of the early church and the beginning of this revolution. And as we do that, one thing we need to focus in on is who is the key hero of the book of Acts? In other words, if we read it as a book of literature, if we read it as a a story that's being told to us about the early church, who's the prime character? That's important for us to figure out. When you read the book of Acts, what you realize is that it's not Stephen. It's not um, the apostles. It's not even Paul who is in much of the book of Acts. The hero of the book of Acts is the Spirit of God. The book of Acts is all about how the third person of the Trinity, how the triune God blows like wind across the Roman Empire, blessing, empowering, and changing hearts of people, reconciling them with their Father in Heaven. So who changed the world? The Spirit of God did. The one that last Sunday Jesus promised that He would depart to His disciples after He ascended into Heaven. And so today we look at the Spirit. On the day of Pentecost, the spirit that the disciples received and how that is what motivated and empowered this change that would come through the whole world. And so we're going to look at three things. One, receiving the spirit of God. 
Two, walking with the Spirit of God. And then finally, three, waiting for the Spirit of God. So number one, receiving the Spirit of God. First, what we see here in this passage and in in the book of Acts is that this was something new. That this was not something um, that was the exact same in the Old Testament. Because we can read in the Old Testament these places and these times where the Spirit of God was given to people in specific moments in specific for specific reasons. We, t- we think about Moses and the portion of the Holy Spirit that's given to him. The elders and the portion of the Holy Spirit that is spread out among them. But the Holy Spirit was not received in the same way that it was in the New Testament. In fact, Peter... When he, right after this moment where he receives and is filled with the Holy Spirit, he preaches to the people there in Jerusalem and thousands of them respond to the gospel. He cites an Old Testament passage in Joel that says something different is happening and that day is today. In Joel chapter 2, one of the prophets of the Old Testament, verses 28 through 29. And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams and your young men shall see visions. Even on the male and female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit. So we see that there is something new happening here in the New Testament, right? In the book of Acts, that The Spirit of God is being poured out as it was prophesied in a new way. And Jesus tells his disciples that the Spirit is going to be the one that leads them. Is going to be the one that speaks the truth and reveals things to the disciples in a way that has not been revealed before. Galatians 3, 13-14 says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it's written, Cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus, so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. Christ did what he did so that we might receive the Spirit of God. The very same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives inside of us. Jesus promised, I'm going to put my very spirit inside of your body. You're going to become a new creation. And it's going to change everything. You, yourself, your body is a temple. And not in a a well-intended but misappropriated use of scripture that says, you know what, I can't have another body of cake. This body is a temple. Right? Have you heard that? No, your your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. The same way the temple in Jerusalem was the residing place of Yahweh. The God of the universe resides within you. And this has much more profound implications than whether or not you have um, blue cheese with your chicken wings or not. When we read scripture about people receiving the Holy Spirit, the God of the universe within them, we see that these supernatural, these beyond belief things happened in their lives. Over and over again, we read that the Holy Spirit filled 
and empowered these new believers. And the question we ask ourselves today when we look at ourselves and our life and the Christian life in the United States today, 2021, and we look back at the early church that we have to ask ourselves is why don't we believe anymore that that should be the case in our own lives? Why don't we believe that what he did through the Holy Spirit and the early believers in the book of Acts, why don't we believe that he won't do that in us? In many cases, when you look at a group of Christians today and a group of non-Christians, at least here in the United States, it is all but impossible to discern the difference. Sure, maybe Christians are a little more conscientious, a little more moral, but is that all that the Spirit of God came to do in our lives? Is that it? To be a little more moral than the people around us? For me, I want to be able to say that I have this power to do things that an ordinary person cannot do. I want people to look at my life and my actions and say, that's just not possible. There's there's no way that that could have happened. I want desperately to live my life in a way that demands a gospel explanation. And in order to do that, I have to have the power of the gospel. I have to receive the Spirit of God. And if I am to do this daily, I have to be filled with the Spirit daily. So how do we do this? How do we receive the Spirit of God? First, if you haven't already, ask. Jesus says in Luke eleven thirteen, If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? If you want to see the Holy Spirit working in your life, ask Him, and He will give you His Spirit. He promises it in Scripture. Secondly, we must recognize that the Holy Spirit is not an impersonal force or a thing. The Holy Spirit is not some high-powered fuel that God gives us to enhance what we are already doing in our lives. It's not that we become believers and God's like, hey, here's some Holy Spirit so you can do whatever you've been doing much better. The Spirit of God is God. The Spirit of God is a person that lives inside of you, that slowly teaches us to trust Him and molds us and uses us in greater and greater ways. The more we listen to Him, the more we follow His leading. You could walk away from this sermon, and many of us, Presbyterians do this. You could walk away from this sermon knowing more theologically about the Spirit of God. Or you could walk away knowing a person, knowing the Spirit of God more deeply, and ask, which of these do you think will change your life? The Spirit of a God is a person And we receive him, are filled with him, and are transformed by him. And because the Spirit is not an impersonal force, 
but rather as God, once we receive the Spirit, we walk with the Spirit as the Spirit leads us. Galatians 5.25 says, Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. In other words, it is the Spirit who leads. It is the Spirit who is going before us, and we are called to follow in His footsteps. Just keep in step. Keep up, is what Galatians is saying. And this means, of course, that we need to be constantly asking this person who lives in us, what is it you want to do today, Lord? What is it that you want to guide me? And allowing the Spirit, step by step, day by day, to direct us. Where are we going to walk today? Where do you want to lead me today, Spirit? Who do you want me to love today, Spirit? Holy Spirit, if you're in there, what are we doing this afternoon? Are your Sunday afternoon plans open to input from the Spirit of God that lives within you? Walk with the Spirit and follow the Spirit's lead. Listen to Scripture to see how this person leads God's people over and over again in Scripture. When we read about the Spirit in Scripture, here in the book of Acts, does God ask people to do something safe and comfortable? Or does He lead us into a life of adventure, a life, frankly, of pain and discomfort, a life on mission that requires the power of the Holy Spirit, that requires the Comforter, Jesus Christ did not die in order to follow us. He didn't die so that we could sit comfortably in our pews and then transition to sit comfortably at um, a meal later this afternoon and then to switch seats and to sit comfortably in our homes. He died so that we could forget all of that so that we could forget everything and follow him. How is Jesus, how is the Spirit leading you as you spend time with your family? What might the Spirit be leading you to say to the people that you work with? How might the Spirit be leading you to shape your life, to shape your budget and the things that you own? Let me warn you. Walking with the Spirit, being led by the Spirit, will completely and utterly change you. He may ask you to give up some good things, even at least for a little while, to accomplish His purposes in and through you. He may ask you, even if you run a million dollar business, to hand out bulletins at a local church for those coming to worship. And I can tell you from experience, that he will absolutely refine and shape you more and more into his son, Jesus, and that that death of your old self is no easy walk. It is no easy path to follow. Let's ask ourselves this question. If we were 100% submitted to God's will, like Jesus, if we were 100% submitted to God's will in this moment, what do you think he might ask you to do? 
the answer is not as important as the question. It is crucial, defining even, to our lives to daily consider and pursue the Spirit's leading, keeping in step with the Spirit. Walking in the Spirit requires a continued action. It is a lifelong process and an ongoing relationship with this person, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God that resides within you even as I speak to you now. It requires also giving up control and stepping out in faith with the Spirit of God. I was once doing this study by uh, by David Platt. It's called Radical. And, and in it, he uses this metaphor, which is a great metaphor. And he tells a story of um, this ship called the Queen Mary. And back in the day, many, many, many years ago, this ship, Queen Mary, was built and it was stationed in Long Beach, California. And it was bigger than the Titanic, if you can imagine. It was a luxury liner and it was designed to provide these indulgences to entice the most wealthy patrons that they could possibly entice. It could have over 3,000 people there on this luxury liner. Well, World War II came. And what happened was is they took this luxury liner and decided that they were going to convert it and use it for um, the war. And so with the help of the transport of, 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 of troops. And what's interesting is that this luxury liner, which previously could only hold 3,000 people, when it was refitted, when it was repurposed, when it was turned inside and upside down to accommodate for a mission instead of pleasures, it was able to fit 15,000 soldiers in order to transport them. Everything, every detail of that ship was transformed from peacetime into wartime, from being the primary purpose of comfort to being the primary purpose of mission. And again, let's ask ourselves, which image better describes Christianity in the United States? Which image better describes our community, our church, our homes, our individual lives? Which is a vessel to be used by the Holy Spirit and empowered by the Holy Spirit? As individuals, do we have a peacetime faith or a wartime faith? Anyone, and I mean anyone, can show up on a Sunday Sing some, sit still for 45 minutes, and drive home. It is when we talk about mission. It is when we talk about the hurting people around us. Digging into that. That's when you need the Holy Spirit. Learning how we can love and serve those around us who do not know Jesus. That is when God shows up. You won't know what God will do in your life until you get out there and follow his leading. Stepping beyond your own abilities and out into faith. Where might he want you to go? Who might he want you to talk to or to serve? All the power in the world is irrelevant 
if it is never put to use. I don't know about you, but during quarantine, or just with children in general, we watch the same movie over and over again. And the movie that uh, my oldest daughter loves the most is Nemo, uh, Finding Nemo. And in that movie, and I've watched it maybe a thousand times at this point, so I've had a number of insights into the movie Nemo. And one of the insights that I made, uh, this happened just a couple days ago, is, is that Nemo's dad was right. And if you haven't seen the movie, what it's about is this hyper-cautious dad, um, which rightfully so for the things that he's been through, and um, his son uh, goes out on this adventure and he gets caught and everything else, and it's a long story, and, it's, and, and kind of like the takeaway is this dad has to go across the ocean and save his son and bring him back. But Nemo's dad was right, this overcautious guy, because the whole movie is predicated on this one incident, which is where the dad says, hey, be cautious! Stay here in this sea anemone where it's safe. Don't go out there. And the son ignores him and goes out there and gets caught by a scuba diver. And the rest of the movie is him trying to get his son back. And it's actually a miracle. In fact, it's, it's quite unbelievable when you think about it. That a clownfish designed to be and live in a, um, in a coral reef was able to traverse the entire ocean, get his son out of an aquarium... And then return all the way back to the coral reef. They would, if Nemo had, 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 had done that in real life, Nemo would still be in that aquarium and they would never see each other again. So in, in one sense, the dad was right. If they had just remained cautious, then they would have remained comfortable and safe in their sea anemone. You know, of course, another perspective is that without taking a risk, without stepping out into the ocean, without stepping out in faith, there's no movie. There's no adventure. There's no life. There's definitely no book of Acts. And we live instead a life of safety and comfort, and we never experience the power of the Spirit of God that resides within me. Now, before you, char- you turn off the TV and you charge out there into the world to change the world, first, wait. <laughs> before the Holy Spirit came on the day of Pentecost, this happened in Acts chapter 1, verses 3 through, it says this, He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. He tells them to wait for the gift the gift of the Holy Spirit before going to be his witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. There's a book on uh, spiritual leadership that I've read, and um, it's called Spiritual Leadership for Church Officers, and it's by uh, Joan Gray. And in it, um, she has this great metaphor about whether or not Elders and church leaders are being um, spirit-led or whether or not we just plow ahead on our own. 
And the analogy she uses is that of being in a rowboat versus a sailboat. And it's something I get because I grew up on a, um, learning how to sail. And uh, back then, I, was, I didn't have enough weight to hold the boat down. That's not a problem nowadays. Um, but anyway, the way, you know the way in which these two boats work, right? That a rowboat is completely and totally done by our own effort. And that a sailboat, you have to move with the wind. And the same is true for us as a community. And the same is true in our individual lives as well. That there are periods and there are times when we have to wait and listen and move with the wind. But oftentimes, because it is our nature, instead, we find ourselves rowing as hard as we can to go in the direction that we think we should, not waiting or listening for the power or the voice of the Holy Spirit in our lives. We as a church are doing this um, collectively. In fact, this coming week, um, we are going to meet as a session, the elders, to listen to God's Spirit and ask where, now that we're coming out of this pandemic, where are we going next? What is going to happen next? And where is the wind of God blowing that we might join Him where He is already at work? And then we can also do this in our individual lives as well. Join Him where He is at work and where He leads you. I want to challenge us over um, the next few months to develop this habit of spending at least one period of time a week just waiting, just listening for the Spirit's voice. Just set aside one period of time. It could be 15 minutes a week that you're going to listen and wait for God's Spirit to move within you. How are we to negotiate our way through this world? eating with and blessing unbelievers and interacting with them without the Spirit's voice to guide us. So set aside a designated time each week. Eliminate distractions and start your time not by asking or telling the Holy Spirit what you want. Start simply by enjoying God's presence and listening. The Spirit might bring to your mind the name or the face of a person that you are supposed to be blessing or just to have a meal with. The Spirit might prompt you to re-engage with someone that you blessed last week, or He might bring to mind something you ought to have said to someone, but you never did. Reorient our lives for His mission, and you will sense the presence of His Spirit in your heart, and that presence will add strength, power, and encouragement to your walk. Listen to the Spirit. Sometimes it is a rush of wind. Unavoidable. Sometimes it is a cool breeze. Sometimes it doesn't feel like there is movement at all. Listen for the Spirit. And while we are talking about listening, let me also remind you that there are about a billion and one different voices out there that are lying to you. There are voices that we hear in the culture that we hear on television and in the media. There are voices that we hear inside our own heads of the, of the trauma and the things that we have dealt with in our lives. There are whispers from the evil one that seeks to tempt us. We must speak back to those lies, proclaiming that they are lies, that they are, tr- that they are not the truth, and 
And only then, as those voices quiet down, can we respond in truth and power to the voice of the Holy Spirit that we do hear. In John chapter 14, verses 17 through 18, Jesus said this, The Spirit of truth, He dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. The same Spirit, the Holy Spirit of the triune God, the, the, the three persons yet one God, that same Spirit is the Spirit of truth that dwells with us and in us. The Spirit of God that resides in you is the same Spirit, the same power that raised Jesus from the grave. It is the same Spirit that changed the world and continues to change the world. Seek Him. Ask Him where He is at work and join Him to be a vessel of the Holy Spirit, to be a world changer as we point people to Jesus Christ and as we follow Him more closely. Receive the Spirit. Walk with the Spirit. Wait for the Spirit. Amen and amen. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, we ask now in this moment, wherever we may be, that we would receive the power of the Holy Spirit, that we would know your presence, that we would be unafraid to seek you, to listen to you, and to step out in faith to the places that you have prepared for us. We thank you for this time together and your word. We pray these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen and amen. And thank you so much for being here with us this morning. As a reminder, as always, um, thank you for your offerings and your, your support that continue to allow us to preach the gospel here in Kent and to support our missions and ministries um, here and throughout the world. Um, as we end our time together, let me just read this from, from the Jesus Storybook Bible, getting us ready for next week. It said this, There are a lot of people from faraway countries in Jerusalem, and they couldn't speak the same language. But as they listened to Peter, everyone could understand what he was saying in their own language. Many people believed and became Jesus' new friends and helpers, and the wonderful news of Jesus spread like sparks from a fire, the fire of the Holy Spirit. To villages, towns, cities. Every day, more and more people believed. And so it was that the family of God's children, his special people, grew. Next week, we're going to look more at that and how this explosion in the early church took place in the book of Acts. Friends, thank you so much for being here with me uh, this morning. God bless and may the power of the Holy Spirit be with you all as you go forward from here. Amen and amen.
Shame. 